Welcome, welcome, curious souls, to the Macabre Emporium, your sanctuary for the unusual, the mysterious, and the appalling. Step through our cryptic doorway into a world where secrets whisper and enigmas come to life. I'm David. And I'm Sarah. Together, we're your custodians of the macabre, guiding you through tales that defy the ordinary. Discover the untold stories, from lesser-known cases of true crime to the bizarre events that captivate us. Join us on a journey to the shadows where the mainstream fades and the extraordinary beckons. So whether you seek the bizarre, the eerie, or the chillingly obscure, you're in for a treat here at Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is the actual 44th episode. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Welcome. So last week we posted a new approach to things for us instead of just not having a new episode. We did what raw episodes where yeah. it's just uncut audio minus all some ums and coughs and long pauses because we can't read our own scripts that we typed out or the cats are on their bullshit. Yep. Happens a lot. So, and just happened to be that the one episode that we have that's Halloween related to keep it in, you know, the spirits of October was the same night all three of the shop cats were on some bullshit. So, yeah, you might have heard us rage at Ginger, Lugosi, or Salem, which generally he's usually sleeping or off chasing a ghost somewhere. That rage is all out of love, really. Yeah, it's our love language, apparently. So, yeah, we don't, we're not that angry towards our cats, but anyway, that owns an orange cat, you know what we're talking about, especially my sister lately. There'll probably be a thing that happens more often later on in the future when life gets in the way or one of us gets sick like I did, which I am feeling better, even though I do sound a little off still, I guess you could say. Not nearly as bad as in the intro of the Raw episode. So if you enjoyed that kind of thing, just let us know. I'd like to hear from you guys in, either on Facebook or post it in this on Spotify that has a comment section on particular episodes. Just as a quick reminder, we do have a TikTok that I finally learned how to actually do something with not super long ago. And so you can jump on there and find us. I believe it's at Macabre Emporium Pod is what it is. And a couple of people are actually surprised to find out we had one. Like, I didn't know you. Didn't know you guys had one, and it was like, yeah, because we just made it, and we keep forgetting to bring it up. Yeah. So there, we brought it up again. Brought it up. Now go subscribe and, you know, watch the things and leave comments and interact. Yeah. We would like more interaction from everybody that listens. So, done it. Except for the cat. Except for Ginger's mouthy ass, we get enough of that. Yep. So, have you done anything fun recently? Yeah, this past Saturday, I went with my best friend and another friend from work and my oldest sister. We went to uh, the Coliseum in Fort Wayne for a holistic and like crystals expo. Okay. Lots of pretty shiny, sparkly things there. Although I will say it was a little weird watching people get a rub down just in the middle of a room. Just tables of people getting rubbed down. Like, uh... I'm sure the special rubdowns were after dark later on somewhere else. And I will say, the Fort Wayne Coliseum inside is absolutely beautiful, but we were, like, when you first walk in, it wasn't the entrance that you and I went into. Is that not the conference center section? That is. But that was the doors to the left. We went into the doors to the right, and instead of going, like, just straight through, that's where their box office is. They have an escalator that goes upstairs. But then there's like a little drop off spot and mm -hmm. it was down in there, like in the basement area. I'm not sure about what the basement area is. I've only been in there 
two times that I can remember. Once for Toby Keith concert years ago with yeah, my mom. It, and... it wasn't anything special. It was just a basement area yeah. with a little concession area and a bathroom. Like, okay. it wasn't special. It wasn't nice looking or anything. The bathrooms there fucking sucked in that basement area. Well, it was probably the older part of the Coliseum. Yeah. Because they were, like, super narrow. All of them. Even the handicap stall was super narrow. Yeah. And I don't understand why they would make a handicap stall narrow. Bare minimum requirements. I guess. Well, yeah, so you got to remember the time of when that Coliseum was built, you know, people were shorter and so didn't take need as much space yeah. as well. I suppose. Either way. Tiny, tiny bathrooms. Right. You think they'd upgrade. But anyhow. But, yeah, it was fun day. Long day. I didn't expect to be out until 6 o'clock, but... Right. Yeah, because I figured to be back sooner than that, and I was like, hey, you guys are right. So, what do you have for us this week for our last October episode? I had to get back to my roots. It's true crime. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we got to get back in the swing of things, I guess. But technically, I never went out of them for October, if you think about it. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. I have a Japanese bathroom ghost by the name of Ankomato. A bathroom ghost. Okay. We'll get <laughs> we'll get into it. I know you want to give a a short blurb about it, but we'll get into it soon enough because my right. story isn't long either. That's, so I'm not getting more into it. That's all I'm saying is it's a Japanese bathroom ghost. There's multiple ones, but this is the one that stuck out most to me. Sorry, right, you ready to get started then? Uh sure. So Halloween, usually an exciting time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for kids, it's all about getting, you know, getting dressed up in their costume, getting ready to go trick-or-treating. For adults, it would be different, you know, if they have kids. It's all about getting their kids ready for trick-or-treating, seeing the excitement on their faces while they're going door-to-door collecting their candy. Right. You know, watching their, their buckets get fuller and fuller. And nowadays, possibly get a free shooter bottle from a house. They make their rounds and go back to... They make their rounds and go home to pick through their candy, scarfing down and rightfully earning themselves sugar highs and intense crashes when all their sugar wears off. You know, the parents are tired after all is said and done, so they would also turn in for the night. But not all Halloween nights are quite so great, though. This would be one of those nights. Rebecca Jane Gay was 24 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was a newly promoted manager at her local Goodwill, where she spent most of her days working. She had plans with her three-year-old son, Conway, to go trick-or-treating on Halloween, which was just a day away. Suspicions grew when she didn't show up for her shift at Goodwill. Her employer must have gotten a hold of mom and soon-to-be stepdad, and then the game of telephone began. You know... Mom and stepdad would call family, that family would call other family that, you know, mom called friends, that friend would call other mutual friends until everybody's like, nobody's heard from her or seen her, you know. Um, last time she had been heard from or seen was at seven o'clock that morning, October 30th at her own house. And this all happened in 2012 to give you a year. Okay. After... Everyone had been gone through that could possibly have had any knowledge of where she was. Uh, They finally decided to call authorities and let them know that Rebecca was missing. 
It wasn't like Rebecca, or Becca Boo as her friends called her, to miss a shift of work and definitely not to not answer her phone. The sheriff's department got the report and put out a missing persons report. They described Rebecca as a white female that stood about 5'3", 118 pounds, with blue eyes and curly blonde hair just below her shoulders. Someone had even posted on her Facebook page stating that she didn't show up to work and that she hadn't been to her son's school to pick him up either. I'm assuming probably daycare at that age, three. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. In the blink of an eye, the town of Broomfield Township, Michigan, not Bloomfield with an L, it's R, like a broom, which is broom. Okay. Broomfield, I've never heard of it. I don't think I have either. Or even notice it going random places we go in Michigan when we go visit your family. I have no idea. But the town was caught in a whirlwind. Pastor John Douglas White had asked all of his parishioners from the Christ Community Fellowship Church to pray for the safe return of his fiance and parishioner, Sally Gay's daughter. Thankfully, Pastor John lived in the same trailer park that Rebecca did, basically next-door neighbors, kind of. Yeah. So if someone had come or gone, there's a chance that he could have seen the person, the car, you know, heard something, hopefully. Sally was understandably torn apart, and John had nothing he could do, you know, but be there for his fiance. He had ties to Rebecca, you know, he was engaged to her mom. He would help and babysit Conway when she, you know, when Rebecca needed a babysitter and couldn't find anybody. He was always like, last minute, hey, I'll take care of him. Yeah. He was a man of God, and one way he thought he he could help the most was to ask his his followers to pray for her safe return. But do you think it re- it could really be that simple that he could just be the supportive fiance to Sally and the backbone to his church while everybody else ran around in a panic? No, because he's way too fucking calm about it because he fucking did it. I'm just speculating. Well, not quite. What his fiance Sally and his followers were unaware of at the time of Rebecca's disappearance was that the ever-holy John was actually a giant piece of shit that shouldn't have been on the streets, period. Imagine that. See, John had been a violent offender once or twice in his lifetime. By offender, I mean, like, well, I'll get there. (laughs) I'll get there. As a matter of fact, I'll get there right now. Like, my guess is, oh, he's a pastor that lives in Trailer Park, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just not two things you fucking put together in Michigan. And just, I don't know, you don't really think of a pastor living in a trailer park, really. Well, this town was very small. Right. I get that. But so, I mean, it could be, you know, because I've always lived in a much larger area. So I don't think of things like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. around here, the pastor's house is usually not that far from the churches anyhow, because the one that we attended to when we, I was younger, his house, the house that the church belonged to, well, they actually owned two. One was like right next door. And then the other one was like four blocks away, one street over. Well, you don't know. You don't know. Oh, the I church know. could have been right next door to the trailer park. That's true, but it's still, it's just a weird concept to me for a pastor to be living in a trailer park. So, I don't know. Not but, everybody's made of money. I understand that. Mm. Anyways, in 1980, when he was living in Battle Creek, Michigan, at 22 years old, he attacked a woman. While he was married at that, I'll say he was married at this point. He had invited a 17-year-old girl over to look at a stock race car track that he had set up in his basement, and then he stabbed her 15 times before choking her. The girl did survive and was able to tell the police that John that John said, You're going to go now. I'm really sorry you had to go like this, but what the fuck? You're just a woman. Well, all right then. 
He was arrested and charged with assault with intent to do great bodily harm and was released in 1983. So he only had done three years for this. Stabbed this girl 15, 15 times and then choked her, trying to kill her, but only got assault with intent to do great bodily harm. Right. Not attempted murder, nothing. But his brutality didn't stop there. Nine years later, in 1994, John was looked at as a person of interest for the murder of his mistress, Vicki Sue Wall, in Comstock County, Michigan. When it came out that Vicki Sue had gone missing, or Vicki is what I'm going to call her, when it came out that Vicki had gone missing, he claimed he didn't know what happened, that they went out together and that he returned her home, is what he said. But they got his ass because they found video, well, they obtained video of Vicki getting into his truck at an in a Meyer parking lot. They obtained a video of her getting in his truck in a Meyer parking lot the night she disappeared. They eventually found her body, but by the time they did, she was so badly decomposed that they couldn't make out what her cause of death was. But they do know that it wasn't natural causes. And I say that because they <laughs> they found her, okay, so they found her two miles away from the Meyer that she was at with John. Mm -hmm. on video with John and she only had on a t-shirt and was basically wearing her bra as a necklace it's all she had oh, on wow. natural causes though right yeah no okay. so wow. they they knew at that point it wasn't natural causes Ready? yep police believe she pressured John about their relationship and he got mad killed her and then dumped her body coincidentally sometime between leaving Meyer and Vicky's body being found John had checked himself into the Kalamazoo Regional Psychiatric Hospital he was arrested in the same hospital a week after her body was found and identified. They didn't say how she was identified because she was, like, pretty decayed at that point. Right. So I'm assuming dental or DNA. Yeah. Unless there was some tattoo that was not... De some tattoo that wasn't decomposed yet as an identifier that somebody could. It's a possibility. Maybe. Because they never said how far along the decomposition was was it well it was far enough for them to not be able to determine a cause yeah, of death true so yeah skin would have been gone by then so never mind on that i guess <laughs> when a luminol test was done in john's truck they had found evidence of blood in multiple areas but there was limited evidence which made it hard to charge him with a harsher crime therefore he took a plea deal and got a charge of involuntary manslaughter with an 8 to 15 year prison sentence you ever seen luminol at work uh-huh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I did it in high school in a, at the Career Center for Public Safety, we, but we used chicken blood. Oh. He served a little over 12 of those years and was, was released in 2007. Within a few years, he was living his best life. No prison. He had a new fiance named Sally. All was swell, right? Until his, like, weird fantasies came into play. John had started thinking about having sex with dead women. And quite often. He was watching necrophilia porn whenever he could further driving that fantasy into his twisted little brain. But he'd never act on it, right? Right? You'd hope. But I'm going to guess this piece of shit probably did act on it. Uh, I don't know. We're going to get back to Rebecca. Okay. The police had started trying to find out what happened to Rebecca Gay. So they went around asking anyone that knew her if they knew anything. They picked 55-year-old John up for just routine questioning. You know, that was mom's fiance mm -hmm. he's been around rebecca he'd been around her son so you know he was 
highly involved with the family. They pled with him that if he knew anything at all to please just tell them that if Rebecca was hurt or worse, that the state of the weather at the time would make her body uh, deteriorate quickly and that that would only make it harder for Sally to get the closure that she needed because she wouldn't want to see her daughter in a deteriorated state, basically. And with that, John sat for a day before he decided to open his mouth and admit to murdering 24-year-old Rebecca Gay, the daughter of his fiance and the mother of three-year-old Conway. He killed her for no particular reason at all. But there was a reason. It just wasn't a good one. Not that there's ever a good reason to kill somebody. His was just... His was just icky. Right. So once John got to talking, he detailed what happened. He said he'd been drinking, or rather that he had drank, in his words, four, maybe five natty daddies, which is what he called. And Lord. What he, what he called them. Uh, for non-beer drinkers, I had to look it up because I had no clue what it was because I don't drink beer. Naturalize. Yeah, 24-ounce natural light. Gross. Yep. That's a lot of beer. Anyway, you slice it, that is a lot of beer. <laughs> to drink four or five of them, that's a lot. He told them he had been watching videos on a psycho thriller website, a.k.a. necrophilia porn, and how he got excited and wanted to act out the fantasy that he had been having. This fantasy for him now included his fiance's daughter. He wanted to kill Rebecca and then have sex with their dead body. He decided at 2 a.m. Halloween morning that he was going to walk over to Rebecca's trailer, let himself in through the side door. Unfortunately, when he let himself in, he noticed her bedroom light come on. So she heard, she had to have heard that side door open. Right. And if he's living in a trailer, you're going to hear everything that fucking goes on there. Yeah. Um... So yeah, the bedroom light came on and then she looked out her bedroom window and he had happened to step back out the sliding door and her bedroom was like right next to that. So she stuck her head out the window and he walked over and hit her numerous times on the head with a rubber mallet until she was knocked out. He then tied a large zip tie around her neck and pulled tightly. So, you know, she ultimately quit breathing and died. He then proceeded to drag her lifeless body to the kitchen and undress her. He stated he remembers touching her inappropriately and that he wanted to have sex with her. But thankfully for her, that nasty piece of shit couldn't get hard. He couldn't get hard. That is the only thing, even though she was already dead at this point. Right. The only thing that saved her from that, that shit. John then returned home, grabbed a roll of contractor bags and went back to put Rebecca, her clothes, the bloody towels that he cleaned up with, and the mallet inside before he tossed him in the bed of his truck. He took a couple of routes along the way. He dumped the mallet and towels out on one road, and then Rebecca's body out on a different road. He went back home, got in her car, and drove to a local bar called the Barn Door in hopes that her car being there would throw off investigators to think like maybe she just went home and was having well not home but went home with somebody and is having like a one night stand or two you know two night stand whatever he went back to the trailer park again and tossed rebecca's cell phone purse and car keys in like the big dumpsters which john wound up giving up locations to every single piece of evidence as he told police what happened so that was kind of saintly of him right yeah, well, that makes up for everything else. <laughs> right. 
Once Rebecca's body, belongings, and evidence were collected from where they were thrown, investigators dug further. They did a full run-through on both homes and found more evidence to link him to the crime, even though they already had his admittance. They had it on camera and audio that he admitted to it. He was able to tell them where, you know, they could find her body, all of the shit that he threw out along the way, which they were able to go and find and, you know. So they had him. They already had him. They had found blood in both homes as well in his truck. They found a bloody necklace in the bed of his truck, which she must have been wearing, that somehow got broken off or something and stayed in the bed of his truck. Yeah. But they really wanted to nail this asshole. And I think it's because of the part I'm about to tell you. After he killed Rebecca, dumped her body, and scattered the evidence, he went back to her place again because her three-year-old son, Conway, was there. He was in the home at the time that this piece of shit was murdering his mom. It never came out whether or not he saw or heard anything, but I'm hoping that, like, because he was so young that he, even if he did, he wouldn't, he remember. wouldn't remember it. But you never know. But this asshole went back during the day, got Conway dressed in his Halloween costume, and took him to a grocery store parking lot to drop him off so his dad could take him trick-or-treating. And with that, they did nail his ass. He was sentenced to 56 years in prison at the age of 55 in April of 2013. Just a short four months later, John was found hanging in his cell around 4 a.m. CPR was done, but thankfully that fucker stayed dead. Yeah. So just remember, kitties, you don't have to check your candy for hideous, deadly things. You just have to look yeah. at your neighbors. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was a... Uh, yeah, like Sarah said, obviously now it's not just poison or razor blades or anything you got to watch out for now on Halloween. I guess it's a creepy roommate, whatever you want to... Neighbor. Neighbor, roommate. You got to watch out for on Halloween now these days. Yep. So maybe these trunk or treats are not such a bad idea after no, all. No, they're just so kidding. stupid. If I had kids, I would never take them to a trunk or treat. Right. That shit killed Halloween. Other than Ronald Clark O'Brien did. No. So, you ready to hear about Akamatu? Sure. I guess it's more of your unicorns and rainbows for this episode, I guess you could say, because it's just kind of goofy, I guess. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So lately, you know, I kind of become a fan of a real page named Toilety Paper that brings a new poop word of the day to please my inner 12-year-old. It happened to remind me of their series of Japanese toilet ghosts that I've heard about from another show at one point, and then this one kind of stuck out. Out to me by the name of Akamato. The origins of Akamato go far back as the 1930s in the schoolyards of Japan, and his popularity hasn't faded with the rise of new toilet ghosts such as Nidori and Hanako-san. One of the more popular origins of Akamato is he is a reflection of a student's anxiety as he asks impossible questions with a terrible outcome, which is not too different from being asked questions from the student's teachers in front of the entire class and not knowing the answer or a difficult question or problem on a test. The name Akamatu comes from Ako, which is red or crimson, crimson in Japanese, and Matu is a style of sleeveless kimono jacket during the 1930s, whereas today, a Matu is a word for cloak or cape. So red cape is, or red cloak, is what his name translates into. Okay. The legend of Akamatu is described as a male spirit that haunts school bathrooms. In other variations, he haunts the last stall or the fourth stall, as the number four is considered unlucky in Japanese superstitions because its pronunciation of she during the 5th and 6th century also means death, 
whereas today is also pronounced yan, or she is still correct in pronouncing the number four in Japanese. Okay. So it might be a regional thing on which usage of it. Akamatu is said to be wearing a flowing red cape or cloak while wearing a mask covering his face, which sometimes has been described in some tellings of Akamato to be handsome and charming beneath his mask. So maybe Ted Bunny moved on to stalking people in bathrooms? Doubtful. And another variation of Akamatu is still wearing the red cape or cloak, but appears as a tall man with a sickly bluish-white face. Akamatu is blamed on a yokai or a ghost known as Kinkati, which is less violent and just likes to tickle your butt while his long hairy arm from the traditional squat toilets of Japan are found in older buildings. <laughs> Of course, as she's shaking her head. Hey, hey, hey. Most of the Akamato stories follow the same pattern. While in school with a desperate need for the toilet, forcing them to use the closest bathroom, which typically is older, not as well kept and separated from the rest of the school, and is avoided by all students and, of, and is, of course, rumored to be haunted. By a butthole tickler. No, this is Akamato in general. Oh, okay. <laughs> But with no time to spare to search for a different bathroom, they end up entering this less well-kept older bathroom that's haunted. After said student is done doing their business, this is where Akamatu will appear as the student finds himself in the stall with no paper to use. Akamatu will ask red or blue paper. Depending on which answer they give is how Akamatu will kill them. If they ask for red, Akamatu will either stab or slice them up so violently, blood is spraying everywhere like a 1980s slasher film, soaking their body and making it look like as if they're wearing a bright red cloak. If they answer blue, Akamatu will suck the blood from their, from their body, leaving the students dead and blue in the face on the floor. In some cases, if you choose blue paper instead of the red, your blood is drained from your body. Instead of your blood being drained from your body, Akamatu will strangle you until you're blue in the face. Along with red, he will fly the skin off your back to make as it as if you're wearing a red cape. So almost doing like a blood eagle almost. Oh fuck. Also, there is the student's skin color will change permanently over to whatever color that they choose as well. And then however, they will fall ill suddenly and die shortly after their interactions with Akamatu in this bathroom. The questions have also varied as well, including a red and blue vest, a red and blue tongue, and sometimes red, white, or blue. In the version of the red or white paper, it often would result in a red tongue rising up from the toilet to lick the student's backside while white resulted in a hand instead rising up from the toilet to touch or tickle their backside. <coughs> I don't know. Maybe we need to invest in a camera. I swear, if I could roll my eyes any harder, I could look that hand like I could look at that hand through my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, my, I, Yeah. I, I can feel my eyes rolling like, what the fuck? Maybe it's time we invest in a camera for my portion of the episodes <laughs> just so people can see your face. Oh, that'd be a horror story. No, it would not be. About to turn on the horror cam. H-O-R-R-O-R, not the W-H-O-R-E kind. <laughs> horror. That's a whole other website for that. <laughs> yeah, with kids, you know, it'll never be, never be made. A less common choice in the lore of Akamato is red or purple paper. Oh, God. Where choosing purple allows you to escape unharmed, whereas red will cause you to be jagged down through the school's plumbing to the netherworld never to be seen again. As many ghost stories like this, there is usually isn't a way to escape your fate if you cross paths with Akamato. 
Some students have tried to bring along their own extra toilet paper with them, only to discover it mysteriously disappeared before it is actually needed, and then they still have to face Akamatu. Trying to confuse him by choosing a different color, in hopes to confuse him really. Like before, in the less common versions, if you pick purple, Akamatu will drag you to hell for trying to outsmart him. If you happen to choose yellow instead of one of the colors he's presented to you, he will force your head in the toilet and drown you instead. Oh, that's nice. The one thing I did find common through between all these tellings is if you tell if you don't tell him a preference in color or you say you tell him neither, I don't care. He will or you simply ignore him. He will go away. So like while choosing, you go start screaming his profanities at her. Yeah. She'll go away. So he's like, I don't care or you don't respond. He just fucking leaves. It's always interesting. There's always these other very elaborate, you know, consequences for actually choosing. But if you don't choose, it's just like, okay, okay well, I'm out of here. <laughs> Fine. What I didn't want to give you toilet paper anyway. I just wanted to look at your butthole anyways. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, I just wanted to come in here and take your butthole like some creeper. Eesh. Anyhow. <laughs> but also, in some cases, if you tell him you don't need any paper or you ignore him, they give you enough time to escape the bathroom he is left confused, or he will block the exit when you do try to escape. Huh. Places where Akamatu has popped up in pop culture, and Akagami Ogami, appear, he appears as the monster of the week in the second episode of the 2000 anime series Ghost Stories. The 2003 video game Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, featured an enemy known as Killer Mantle, which may have been based on the legend of Akamatu. In the 8th episode of the first season of 2015's Scream Queen's Ghost Stories, E.C. Nash's character, Denise Hamphill, explains the legend of the red cloak to the Kappa girls during a fireside storytelling session. I remember that. And also, there was a video game made in 2019 by the same name of this legend, and that's developed by a publisher by named Chilla's Art, and is based on the legend of Akamatu. And huh. I've looked at it, and it looks like very... PlayStation One-ish type graphics because that's I know a newer, a new old popular medium to make video games on. Like there's one that I played, I visited not too long ago called Papers Plays, and it's like all eight bit stuff. Oh good lord! It's a very small file. I played it for a little bit, and I was like, okay, that's enough nostalgia on it, and I uninstalled it. Yeah. So yeah, that's like kind of a newer thing now to make new games look old again for nostalgia reasons. Huh. So I know it was a little super shorter than normal than what I knew, but... That's all right. Because somebody from a dog show decided to steal an episode from me for Halloween a week early. Fucking dog show. Yeah. Kermit bit his ass and got sick, so they had to postpone an episode. That's what you get. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Karma's a bitch. Yeah. Because I know we have shared listeners and I didn't want to, you know, do it again so soon. Yeah. Yours would have been better. Yeah, I know. That's what I told them. <laughs> so then it's fine. I said that's okay. You know the cat show's gonna cover better anyhow. But uh -huh. I decided not to do it after all. We'll save it for next year since now he can't do it again. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know that story, and I haven't listened to it. Um, you don't know the story of Spring Hill Jack? Mm-mm. Huh. Nope. Okay. So eventually you're gonna have to do it, or I'm gonna have to be forced to listen to Kevin's. Oh, we can't have that. So. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do it for the first episode of November out of October. Yeah, maybe. Anyhow. We forgot to say it in the beginning of the episode. What the fuck is wrong with us? Happy Halloween. Oh, yeah. Happy Samhain, too. Yeah. What is wrong with us? 
And then, you know, since we'll be releasing this a day earlier than Wednesday, you know, for tomorrow, you know, happy All Saints Day, too. Yeah, and if you're super white, happy Sam Hain. God, you had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> I had to. I had to. Because. <laughs> yeah, Sam, saying happy Sam Hain is just almost as bad as the level of Karens or super white women trying to order in Spanish at local Mexican restaurants. Yep. I know. It's pretty bad. But anyhow. So I had to throw it in there. You didn't have to. <laughs> oh, I had to. But, you know, I can make it disappear anyway. I know you can. But I'm not going to. <laughs> it was a joke anyways. I know. Don't worry. She actually knows how to pronounce it correctly. Yes, sir, I do. And it annoys me when I hear people say it that way. Mm -hmm. I think her eyes rolls back just as bad as what she's talking talking about earlier about you know being able to see Akamati's hand <laughs> reaching up out of the toilet yep so before we get out of here for the day or the night as you call it you want to say before the trick-or-treaters start showing up yep. just want to remind everybody of Sam's rules for Halloween even though it's enough so just remember this tonight always wear a costume pass out treats to trick-or-treaters never blow out your jack-o'-lantern before midnight always check your candy Always respect the dead. Never take down your decorations before November 1st. And never hurt the innocent. Correct. So, with that said, I think it's time we get out of here for the night, Sarah. What do you think? I agree. So, until next time. Remember to creep it real. Okay, bye. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Please go and check out our website at macabemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on TikTok at Macabre Emporium Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. If you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime or weird history that you would like us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabemporiumpod at gmail.com. And remember to follow, rate, review, and share whenever and wherever you can to help us grow our podcast. If they answer blue, I'll come. You fucking would.